Welcome to the Mycotoxin Matters podcast from Alltech Mycotoxin Management. As mycotoxins present an ever-increasing threat to livestock production, join us as we discuss these impacts and potential solutions, sustainable farming, and our vision for a planet of plenty. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our latest episode of Mycotoxin Matters. Today, we're going to take some time to reflect on some of the key topics that arose at the recent World Mycotoxin Forum. Uh, This was the 14th edition of the event and brought together over 420 attendees from across academia, the food and feed industry, policymakers and government agencies. Held in the beautiful and historical city of Antwerp in Belgium, this was the biggest gathering yet and reflects the growing interest in the area of mycotoxins and food and feed safety. Joining me today to discuss the conference are two of my old tech colleagues, uh, Dr. Alex Yanakouris, Research Group Director, and Dr. Vivi Kretzi, an Aquaculture Technical Specialist. Alex and Vivi, uh, thank you for taking the time for preparing and, and joining us today. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Martin. Okay, Alex, uh, we will start with you if that's okay. Um, Alex, I guess World Mycotoxin Forum, it's always been seen as a means to share the latest uh, mycotoxin-related research, uh, and this year was no different. I think, um, if I remember correctly, there were a record number of posters presented across the the three-day event. Alltech itself had five posters on display. Uh, To begin, maybe you could just give us an overview of some of the the key areas that 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 research was focused on and, and any of the important findings coming out of that too. Yes, absolutely, Martin. So indeed, we had a very good representation in terms of posters that we've prepared for the event. And actually, I think that we covered quite a bit of uh, uh, various sets of themes, actually, in the research that we're uh, presenting. Um, One of the first one uh, relates back to what we are doing in terms of biochemistry, trying to understand the functionality of our microsorb products in order to gain new insight in what this product is doing, especially in the uh, ever-evolving field of mycotoxins. We are always discovering new mycotoxins. They're often called emerging mycotoxins. Uh, The emerging mycotoxin types are changing from time to time as uh, we uh, improve on our understanding and uh, and, uh, how we are characterizing them as emerging. But uh, this is one of the uh, aspects that we uh, wanted to investigate and to provide information on by presenting a poster on the biochemistry of the interaction between our adsorbent product and several of those emerging mycotoxins such as enantines, citronines, etc. 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 Pomopsins, for example. Uh, so this was a very chemical-based type of approach using uh, uh, methods that are developed in the lab, uh, in vitro methods, um, connected also to detection techniques such as uh, uh, LCMS types of system to investigate uh, those uh, adsorption characteristics. Another research that we wanted to put forth is also in vivo research. So we uh, put together also an abstract that collects some of the investigations that we've done in swine and in poultry in order to understand, for example, the pharmacokinetics of aflatoxin B1 in those animal species. in preparation also of testing uh, uh, also under those conditions the efficacy of uh, our adsorbent products. 
that particular poster emphasizes on aflatoxin B1 as well as on some of the metabolites of aflatoxins and how they are accumulating and what is the age-related uh, effect of that type of accumulation in the animal, which is something that uh, is really novel. I haven't seen this type of evaluation referenced uh, very much in, in the literature. A third aspect was the meta-analysis uh, uh, that we recently published in the, the Journal of Toxins, and that is basically evaluating and taking all the learnings, all the different publication data sets that we have in swine for evaluating the impact of mycotoxins in that particular species, as well as the impact of remediation strategies such as uh, uh, the microsorb uh, mitigations. And again, using different types of regression and statistical approaches, we were able to evaluate the impact of those toxins on animal performances, and now we can mitigate those effects when we are using an effective adsorbent product. Uh, the fourth poster uh, was again on another topic, which is ruminal fermentation. Uh, so those ruminal fermentations are often difficult to investigate, uh, especially when we are in, doing some in vitro evaluations. But with our partnership at our Paradams, we were able also to look at the impact of some penicillium types of toxins on those fermentations and what is the incident of those, as well as the incidence of our mitigation types of strategy. For the fifth poster, I'm going to let uh, Dr. Coletti comment on this one because it's her own poster, so uh, she definitely is going to do a better job than me defining and describing it. Thanks, Alex. Uh, yes, uh, the poster I presented at the World Mycotoxin Forum in uh, Antwerp, it was uh, the last chapter of my uh, PhD thesis. It was uh, a study that we did to evaluate the effect of fusarium-produced mycotoxins on rainbow trout. And there we had a hypothesis that the co-exposure of uh, fusarium toxin would have probably a synergistic effect. But uh, we found uh, that um, the co-exposure has additive effect that is still very important for the industry because we know that uh, in the field there are multiple mycotoxins present in the aquifers, and that has a very important uh, outcome uh, to know and to be protected and how to protect our trout. So that was the outcome of um, this uh, poster. Thank you, Vivi, and I think that gives us maybe a nice intro into my next question and, and recognising that many of our listeners today will be involved in the in the livestock industry primarily. From an animal perspective at the conference, what did you find most interesting or, or novel at this year's edition of the event? I think while talking to you across the, the few days and even since then, you were particularly interested in some of the salmon work, I think, from Norway, I guess because of your, your aquaculture roots. And it was also a presentation that that was uh, assessing the viability of biomarkers in, in diagnosing mycotoxin challenges in the animals. So it will be good to hear, I guess, yeah, from an animal perspective, uh, what were some of the most interesting pieces that were shared? Yes, um, as a person with a background from the animal science, of course, also we get uh, learnings from the plant science also in this uh, World Mycotoxin uh, Forum. But um, talking uh, from the animal uh, science and from the research that we saw there, indeed, we have a study um, from Norway uh, about uh, the effect of emerging mycotoxins in salmon. In, in our group, as Alex mentioned before, we have a big interest 
interest in emerging mycotoxins because are toxins that we don't have more information, are toxins that are currently discovering and there is no regulation and no guidance limit. And uh, this group uh, from Norway, from the Institute of Marine Research, they investigated the effect of eniatine B and uh, beuvericin, as is called BEA on salmon, and they found that these toxins, they have effect on growth and on health of salmon. And the interesting part is was that they um, performed a risk assessment calculating a safe limit for these toxins in the salmon feed. And they found that uh, the limit for uh, the safe limit uh, for uh, eniatine is very problematic because in the reality, in the aquafeeds, we found higher levels of this toxin. So that was a very interesting learning. And they indeed, then you mentioned about the biomarkers. Uh, it was a presentation from Veronica Nagel from uh, DSM Fermenich. And uh, she um, presented, and uh, from her presentation, the take-home uh, message was that to make sure uh, to diagnose mycotoxin challenges in uh, our animals is to uh, analyze the feed sample at the moment. This is the most powerful diagnostic tool. That was the take-home message. And of course, there are more studies to talk about animal uh, science. But yes, these are the two that you mentioned. But of course, we have more studies about uh, poultry, uh, about also organoid work. And um, yeah, if you if we have time, we can talk more during this. Uh... Yeah, potentially. And I think, you know, you've written a, a pretty comprehensive article as well, Vivi, that's going to touch on, on some of these topics as well. So we can follow up uh, with that. But at the beginning of your, your, your answer there, you mentioned plants. Uh, and I guess it's often the starting point for, for mycotoxin contamination when we think of entering the the feed chain. And there was a session dedicated to the interaction, Vivi, of, of soil, fungi and, and plants. I guess, although well recognized that soil will harbor many of the mole spores that, that then leads to subsequent mycotoxin development on, on plant materials. Was there anything new in, in this session that may better inform how we think about that, that soil uh, mold and mycotoxin interaction? Yes, definitely. At least uh, from me before this uh, conference, I knew that in the soil might be mycotoxins that they come, they are transferred th from the rainwater, from uh, uh, contaminated crops in the field or from animal manure. But from this uh, session, uh, it was a presentation, I think, from Katerina Mimius that uh, she presented that uh, mycotoxins can also uh, synthesize, can be synthesized in situ in the soil. And perhaps they have also an ecological role that is not uh, defined uh, yet. And uh, also during her talk, she mentioned that dawn might be degraded by uh, microbes that they're in the soil. We are not able yet to uh, know exactly which microbes uh, interact with uh, mycotoxins, but this is a lot of work for the future and probably would be a very uh, important tool uh, also for the mitigation strategies that might be available in the future if we have this information. I think it would be, and I think uh, Dr. Yannakuris, it was one of your questions when you left that presentation. Well, if it's been, if Dawn has been degraded in the soil, what is the the organism or, or the, the action that's actually doing that? Um, Alex, if we do go back to, to you uh, for the next question, um, and we'll move to, to data uh, now, if that's okay. 
During the DISM debate, in particular on the first day, uh, the challenge of data dissemination across the feed and food chain was was cited as one of the biggest barriers to to more effective risk management and then policy development alongside that. And also, I think it's fair to say artificial intelligence or AI was probably mentioned in every presentation across the three days. I know you will often say it's, it's probably just a, a fancy term for statistics. But as someone who has gathered and assessed mycotoxin-related data for over 20 years, um, what are your thoughts uh, on how as an industry we can adapt better to the opportunities that are presented with these new capabilities? Yeah, I mean, AI is uh, still front and center. I think that's the second edition of the World Mycotoxin Forum where we are seeing really several presentations that are really hammering the, the concept of AI and how it can be useful. Uh, in our specific field. I think that uh, there is a very tight connection, of course, between data uh, and AI, because AI can indeed provide you with interesting answers as long as you're able to input some data and the precision on how that data is acquired uh, is uh, of ultimate importance. If your data is not acquired properly, if you're a little bit uh, too lax in terms of how valid that data is, it can also induce some dramatic uh, conclusions using AI that might not be really uh, something that can be actually correlated with uh, with anything. I think the, the interesting part is uh, in, in one of the main uh, session is Talking about data, there is still a very limited amount of data that is shared uh, to use uh, by uh, those different bodies that are looking at uh, using artificial intelligence. So if we're looking at the entire scientific world that is accumulating data, uh, only 10% is actually landing into the EFSA, for example, for any kind of evaluation, which is a fairly low number. I think that we are doing on our side a very good job because we are on our side also accumulating a lot of data. We have our 37 plus program, we have our risk assessment that are enabling us to accumulate that type of information. And that's really what we are looking at also using this data for to try to also come up with some predictive uh, models. Nevertheless, during the conference, there were some interesting uh, information. Um, uh, a lot of groups are working on predictive models to try to bring correlations between what they are seeing in terms of uh, uh, environmental changes, uh, uh, agric uh, agronomical practices, uh, climate changes, uh, short versus long-term types of events, and what can be the incidence on the production of mycotoxins. A good example was uh, uh, from some of the predictive uh, models that were investigated uh, by uh, Dr. Lina Castano-Duke from uh, uh, USDA, where they were looking at geographical distribution uh, geolocalization versus weather patterns, uh, weather changes also for uh, the accumulation of specific fusarium toxins uh, in corn in uh, uh, the Illinois uh, state uh, uh, in, in the US. Of course, this is a tiny example. We 
can imagine that this work will expand uh, on multiple states in the USA as well as in other regions, but it gives us tools to start to understand also those correlations between those events and the mycotoxin production. And that's a nice segue also to the work that we are also participating in when we're looking at predictive models. We have at the moment a consortium uh, effort uh, underway uh, that is managed by the Wageningen Food Safety Research that is leading this type of work and that is going to investigate in the next four years some of those correlations between mycotoxin detected uh, in Europe, geolocalization, satellite imagery, agronomical factors in order to try to come up with a system that will be an early warning system in order to uh, be able to predictively uh, uh, detect uh, what is uh, a period or, or a time where we should be aware of uh, a mycotoxin risk and also to put a warning system where we know when mycotoxins in higher levels are going to be produced. So that's something that is really very interesting in terms of risk assessment and utilization of AI. Other uh, applications, I mean, this is not the only ones. Uh, we have now AI that are also looking into uh, the chemical properties of, uh, of uh, particular compounds. Uh, there was a specific emphasis uh, uh, in one of the presentation from uh, Dr. Palimano uh, Schaltzain that uh, develop a QSAR system that is basically taking the chemical uh, uh, parameters of uh, molecules such as mycotoxins, and they're able through AI to model what is the toxicological potential of those particular mycotoxins based on their chemical structures and some of the parameters that are entered in that system. So that's a quite powerful type of system. It enables us to have an understanding, for example, of the potential toxicity of known mycotoxins, but also of newly discovered mycotoxins or if we are, for example, interested in metabolites uh, of mycotoxins that are not necessarily reported uh, in terms of toxicity, we can use this type of application to evaluate what is their carcinogenic, metagenic uh, potential. On top of that, actually, we can also do some work uh, and experiments in their system. Uh, firsthand myself, uh, you can also look at uh, uh, ADME, uh, absorption, distribution, metabolization, and excretion of uh, uh, those uh, different metabolites. Uh, you can run some models that can tell you if those compounds can enter into the animal system and what can potentially be also their, their, uh, their impact. Another way of using uh, chemical properties is also on the development of mitigation strategies. There was all interesting work uh, um, presented uh, by uh, um, uh, Dr. Anrensik uh, from India Institute in Spain that uh, uh, has played also with AI in order to understand the absorption efficacy of different types of inorganic binders uh, based on their chemical characteristics, structural uh, functions, and uh, uh, mycotoxins. Uh, in addition to adsorption experiment and correlated those composition versus efficacy uh, now can be done through also AI. So that's another potential application in order to work on better system in order to understand uh, uh, the efficacy or to build new binders that could be more appropriate for certain categories of, uh, of, uh, of mycotoxins. Finally, there is another example of AI that I found interesting and that's more 
on the detection side of things. Uh, Dr. Pero Gascon from the Center of Excellence in Mycotoxicology and Public Health uh, in Belgium has uh, used what we can consider as uh, AI in order to uh, use an LCMS approach, uh, but to screen a very wide panels of mycotoxins without having to use any standards. So that's an artificial intelligence also generated type of approach as you're using the tools and the, the bioinformatic tools that are available in your detection technique in order to use again the parameters of uh, MS detection in order to be able to perform this semi-quantitative or qualitative type of evaluation and to build also some of those correlation on how good you are in terms of detecting precisely and accurately some of those mycotoxins. So this is potentially also an area that can be developed in the future when you are thinking about screening more types of mycotoxins and having a better understanding of the situation in terms of contamination. Thank you, Alex. Uh, clearly lots of opportunities when we think of taking advantage of the, the wealth of data that is being generated. But I think you said it at the start that the quality of that data and the ability to share it across the, the wider feed and food chain will probably be you know, some of the determining factors in terms of how we successfully do take advantage of that. Um, staying with you, Alex, there's probably not a World Mycotoxins Forum where regulatory guidelines are not debated in somewhere or another, and this year was was no different. Uh, much of this conversation tends to be led by the European Union, and this year Franz Verstradi, Director General of the European Commission, shared an update on some of the areas that they're currently reviewing including the potential lowering of guidance levels for certain mycotoxins. And also I thought an interesting comment, Alex, regarding a potential tiered approach where, you know, to, to mycotoxin levels where if nutritional solutions will be included in animal diets, those limits may be set somewhat higher. Would you like to briefly give us some of your thoughts on what Franz shared uh, in Belgium and then what implications it may have for feed and livestock producers? Indeed, I think that indeed, uh, as you said, I mean, the major moves are coming uh, always from Europe. Uh, there are many more crises, I guess, in the Europe. Uh, they are more vigilant and uh, there is a rapid alert system in order to understand also the risk that is at stake uh, with uh, the presence of those mycotoxins in terms of uh, impact on animal health and uh, public health uh, too. So, uh, there, there has been uh, from uh, the get-go, I mean, uh, uh, very profound and uh, implementation of rules uh, by Europe. Uh, this is uh, uh, an area of the globe where we have uh, some of the strictest uh, uh, regulations and guidelines for mycotoxins. Uh, now, so far, uh, we've been talking about guidelines in many instances for mycotoxins, except for aflatoxin B1 that is uh, strictly regulated uh, in uh, food and feed. But for animal feed, the other mycotoxins uh, were left at a guideline status. And maybe this is something that seems to be evolving in a direction with more enforcement for some of those mycotoxins in order to set uh, a permissible limits, uh, uh, strict permissible limits of uh, those types of contaminants. And this is uh, uh, this is going to be a problem uh, because, of course, mycotoxins are not going to be uh, uh, found at lower levels. We know that uh, we are seeing uh, an increase in the prevalence of those mycotoxins. Indeed, 
due to the fact that we are able to better detect them, uh, but we are also doing far more analysis of those mycotoxins so we can find them uh, far more and their occurrence is, uh, uh, is increasing. So if you're putting guidance levels and enforcing them, it's going to again induce some more stress in our industry in order to manage those uh, feeds, those ingredients that are above those uh, uh, regulatory uh, uh, limits now. Uh, the other aspect, as you said, is the decrease of, uh, for some particular mycotoxins, uh, deoxynivalenol, for example, or ocatoxin A, of the uh, limits uh, that are going to be uh, uh, recommended uh, or enforced, uh, depending on where we're going uh, with the enforcement side of things. So again, another stress that is going to be placed on the industry in order to come up with feed that is that has lower levels of contamination or dispose of the, the feeds that are at higher levels uh, by other means or displace that to other animal uh, species that are not uh, as well as susceptible as others. I think that we always need to think about indeed uh, health of the animal, which is the role of uh, the regulatory bodies. But on the industry side, we also see uh, that uh, performances of the animals are uh, critical for, for, for many of us. So even if there are guidelines and regulation, we know that those mycotoxins at safe levels can induce also uh, an effect uh, on animal industry. Uh, that's what we've showed also with the meta-analysis that we put forth uh, during uh, uh, this meeting uh, in, in a positive format and that we've published is that even if you're below regulatory limits, you can still see an impact on those performances that might be as uh, 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 great as uh, uh, with the more acute levels of mycotoxins. So there is uh, a, a distinction to do. Uh, enforcing level is not going to... Uh, land us in a situation where it's going to be e easier to handle uh, mycotoxins, but we need to be recognizing at the same time that uh, low levels, chronic exposure also can be uh, a significant, uh, uh, can have a significant up impact on animal production. Finally, the third uh, uh, areas that was discussed is uh, use of, of binders and detoxification strategies. And as you said, there might be some consideration within the guidelines uh, framework within the enforced limit uh, that uh, a feed that contains a detoxification strategy might be viewed in a different ways than a feed that doesn't uh, uh, comprise a mitigation strategy. Now, what are the rules behind that? What will be the levels of those mycotoxins? I think it will stick into that uh, uh, the actual uh, uh, regulation and the guidelines that are proposed. Maybe there will be a uh, two-tier approach in terms of uh, uh, lower uh, levels of mycotoxins versus higher level of mycotoxin within uh, the regulation if the, uh, the the adsorbent is present in in that system. But this is something that uh, has uh, yet to be implemented, established. What are going to be the final rules on that is uh, something that we need to uh, to 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 look for and see uh, whether they are going to be coming up as uh, as a rules for this type of of application there. Yeah, and I think Alex, like with most of these regulatory changes, there's a lot of dialogue and conversations goes into into that before something happens. And I think Franz Verstrade would acknowledge that it's a complex 
and moving picture when you've got to try um, consider food feed security and, and protect the health of the animal and the human and all of the other factors that that go into that. There's a lot of nuances and that contribute to to that before any decisions are made. Um, Maybe to finish up, I'll, I'll put a, a short question to you both. Um, and Alex, you've been a regular at World Mycotoxin Forum events over the past two decades or more, potentially. Vivia, I think it's your second event, uh, uh, joining uh, first in Parma last year. To finish, maybe you could both share your final thoughts on or what would be some of the key takeaways from you for the for you from the, the 2023 edition. Uh, yes, there is also during this event, there is a tradition that the organizing committee provides the top five learned uh, take home messages that I think we have already included and summarized in um, the blog that we have. So I'm not going to repeat um, this one. So I'll say something more about more personal um, highlight that I found from the lecture of uh, Professor Chris Elliott that he talked about food system uh, resilience and how this is disturbed uh, by different facts like climate change, uh, wars, geopolitics. And that reminded me also uh, the theme of Altec One uh, in Dublin uh, last June when Mark Lyons introduced us to the four C's that it was about climate change, uh, conflict, cost and consumer. And unfortunately, during this uh, World Mycotoxin Forum, we have the start of another war in the Middle East this time. So this is something that is challenging us, that it seems that we all us, uh, we work on the climate crisis and uh, also there are more crises uh, coming. Uh, and um, yeah, it's something challenging and we have unforeseen consequences for the planet that makes me more uh, aware and concerned. Thank you, Vivi, and uh, bonus points for getting a, a mention in for the one conference. Um, Alex, uh, you can you can give us a, a brief uh, overview of, of some of your key takeaways, please. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, on a lighter tone, going back to the scientific content, I think that uh, Vivi indeed is uh, perfectly right uh, there. There are uh, human challenges that are arising that are also affecting uh, the way that uh, we are looking at uh, uh, the overall problematic and uh, in terms of food scarcity, food security, etc. And there were a lot of uh, uh, presentation during this uh, uh, forum again uh, from African countries that were also giving their own perspective on the mycotoxin and how they can communicate that message also in terms of what is the problem really with mycotoxins how uh, uh, are the best way to inform people which are not necessarily the way that we are doing it in a, a, a westernized and more industrialized type of country so this is an aspect also that uh, that is a theme that is coming back uh, every year at uh, at the from understanding the perspective of uh, different people uh, from different continents, from Africa, from Asia, on that particular topic of mycotoxin. Now, we cannot forget also about the big themes that have been developed in the, the last 15 years that mycotoxin uh, conferences have uh, existed. We are still talking about detection of mycotoxins. Uh, so we are now going beyond what uh, were, was taught in the past in terms of uh, rapid detection systems or mass spectrometry. Those are well established, but we are now seeing also some other aspects uh, uh, arising uh, uh, from new methodologies. Will it be in the development of a more 
practical antibodies using mimotops and new types of techniques. Again, uh, infrared spectroscopy has been mentioned. It is not something that is yet reliable and usable, but there is a great effort and emphasis on these type of things, as well as portable systems. So we're more looking into portable mass spectrometry systems and AI-enabled types of system for detecting mycotoxins. And at the moment, as Vivi mentioned, this is probably the best way of accounting for that risk. Will it be in westernized, industrialized country or will it be also in, in Africa, for example? So uh, other uh, learnings, of course, AI, as I mentioned before, uh, very important. Uh, but let's not forget about the work that has been done also to try to decipher how uh, uh, mycotoxins are produced. There is a, a great deal of work that is starting now to understand basically the genome of some of the fungal species that are responsible for the production of certain mycotoxin, and how those genomes are conserved across different regions and across different continents. This is the example, for example, of sporidesmine. That is generally a mycotoxin that is found in New Zealand, but now there is investigation happening in South Africa because we are finding that the genetic sequences, the genome that is responsible for that production, can be found also in species present in uh, other parts of the globe. So it means that maybe that's a, a, a overlooked type of uh, mycotoxins that can be found in other species. So there is always room for new emerging mycotoxins, new topics to be uh, uh, understood. Another aspect is also toxicology of those toxins. I mean, there was a nice uh, paper presented by Dr. Isabel Oswald uh, showing that uh, maybe some of the mycotoxins that are a precursor to more well-known mycotoxins such as pterygmatocystine or aflatoxin B1 can also be a problem and can also have high impact in terms of toxicology. This is the case, for example, or versicolorin A, which is an intermediate that is always present uh, in fungal species producing aflatoxin B1. So let's not disregard also those aspects, some of those new mycotoxins, and how we are evaluating those. Will it be in cell culture systems as well as in some of the new methods that Dr. Santos uh, presented, such as the organoids that are looking more uh, uh, in with a view that is closer to the reality uh, on the intestinal system and the uh, impact of both mycotoxins and some of the other pathogens that can be present and what we are exposed to uh, as a whole. Uh, will it be mycotoxins or pathogenic challenge or, or other types of contaminants? So I will leave it to this. There is a lot of things that we need to think about, and that's why we will have another meeting in a year from now to talk about some of the novel uh, uh, things that are happening in the field of mycotoxins. That's right, Alex. I think uh, they're set to reconvene in something like April 2025. Um, I think that uh, the location is yet to be confirmed, but uh, that is the current schedule. Well, thank you both uh, for giving us such a, a great overview of this year's event. Um, I think if our listeners would like some further insights, uh, we will be or have prepared a, a really comprehensive article that is covering some of the topics that we've discussed today, but also some of those that we, we didn't get to. We'll hopefully be able to include that in the, the show notes alongside this podcast. And thank you once again for listening to Micah Talks and Matters, and we look forward to you being with us for the next episode. We hope you enjoyed listening today and look forward to you joining us next time on the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. For more information on the topics discussed, please visit nomycotoxins.com. 
That's K-N-O-W mycotoxins.com.